Good evening, Little Masters, and welcome to the first episode of our second 100 of the Prancing Frodo <laughs> podcast. Frodo makes the hardest decision of his young life. Young life? Well, I hope I can call myself young <laughs> when I'm 50. Hey, I still call myself young. Do you? No. Who am I kidding? <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, without a ring of power to make you well-preserved, somehow yeah. I don't think I'll get away with that either. No. But folks, we'll make our way over to the common room here in just a moment. First of all, I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, who was not chosen for his power or wisdom, Alan Sisto. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I was not chosen for either of those. Thanks a lot, though, Sean. May uh, Gandalf turn you into a spotted toad until the garden full of grass snakes. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, folks, today we learn the only choice that can be made about the ring. And we see Frodo's steely resolve in making that choice. And you know, it's not going to be the last time we see his courage. No, that's true. But speaking of courage, we continue to have a lot of patrons that are willing to join us here in the virtual <laughs> recording booth and speak nice. to us. So that can only mean one thing. That's right. Today, we're bringing you another installment of The North Wing. Just like the North Wing at the Prancing Pony Inn, which had a room or two made special for hobbits, we've got some room especially for some of our listeners to give us a chance to get to know them. And visitors to the North Wing are chosen from our patrons at the Elrond's Honorarium and Cairdan's Contribution Tiers. So if you'd like to be one of the next patrons to join us, be sure to check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod. And please do. We've got quite a few names on the guest list already, so we'll be opening the North Wing every few weeks for now. But believe me when I say that we're more than happy to make more room available if we have to. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, then why don't we go ahead and welcome our guest tonight to the North Wing, James Riley. Hi. Uh, great to be here. Glad to have you. Thank you, James. We really are happy to have you with us and looking forward to chatting with you a bit again. Uh, why don't we go ahead and start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What do you do? Does your family think you're a complete nerd about your Tolkien thing? You know, that that sort of stuff. Uh, well, um, <laughs> born and raised in Gloucester County, Virginia. I've basically been here my entire life. Um, I've bounced around a whole bunch of different little nerd hobbies. Uh, my, my first <laughs> nerd love was definitely Star Wars. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. I stayed in the sci-fi or, you know, futuristic fantasy stuff for a while before discovering Tolkien and uh, basically fell headlong into um, uh, all of the legendarium and everything. Sure. Um, he does and, that, uh, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sucks you right in. It yeah. does. Yep. Yeah, and I basically just kind of, you know, bumbled around here in this little podunk town for, you know, my whole <laughs> life. Uh, I, work, I work in water treatment. I do a little bit of... Um, reenactment work uh, um, i oh, i run a viking reenactment group um, oh, oh, oh cool call out to all my uh my savger friends that's the society of amateur vikings for general reenactment wow wow awesome as as we actually like to call ourselves the super awesome viking group who rocks <laughs> <laughs> make the acronym work there nice. you go very cool that's a much better acronym even than spibimi i have to say yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh come on spibimi is fun <laughs> well yeah but we don't get to wear cool helmets and wave swords around. No, that's yeah. true. Very cool. But I mean, that, that eats yeah. up most of my time, either between that, D&D, &D, and uh, work and time with well, the family. Well, there you go. My kind of life, man. It's a full life, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and now the question we ask just about everybody who's ever been on The Prancing Pony. When and how did you first discover Tolkien's works? Uh, you kind of touched on that a little bit, but, you know, want to expand on that a little bit. And then what was that experience like? We know it was kind of all-consuming. You just dove full full bore. But uh, why do you keep coming back? What is it about his works that does that for you? Well, I actually, a little bit of a confession here, kind of got into Tolkien a little later. Um, mm -hmm. 
I originally uh, read The Hobbit in school, but of course I really didn't get into it entirely then because it was kind of an assigned thing. It was like, oh, right. I have to read sure, this. Yeah. You know, I liked it, but at the time I didn't really think it was something that I really wanted to dive further into. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't actually until the first movie came out and I saw that and I was like, wait a minute, this is familiar, you know, and, and my mom, <laughs> my mom found the, um, the, uh, paperback, uh, four volume box set. That's the Hobbit right. and the Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yeah. And I started reread the Hobbit and just absolutely devoured the, oh, yeah. the three Lord <laughs> of the Rings. And I was like, oh wait, there's more stuff. Oh, There's man. more? There's a whole universe? I went, and I, what? Appendices? Wait, what are all these other books? Yeah. Yeah, and after reading the appendices, I found the Silmarillion, and I've read that numerous times yeah. since, yeah. Um, and have kind of dived into a little bit of the um, uh, the extended works, the uh, histories. Mm-hmm. Histories, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Some of Tolkien's other work, Unfinished Tales, of course. Um, and I've basically come, come back and, like so many other people, have reread the series almost every year, if possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just about to the point that I'm going to start reading The Hobbit with my son. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, oh, that's awesome. How old's your son? He's five. Oh, that's perfect. That's, okay. yeah, I started reading. It's a little tough at five. I, I had a lot better luck now at six with my son. He's, we're all the way now almost to, uh, oh, goodness, we're in Lake Town now. We're almost to the end of the book. Oh, Whereas wow. before, I just, I, I couldn't get him past Rivendell. We just kept hanging up there. But <laughs> See, um, and I just, I totally jumped the gun on both of you guys because I did it uh, with my son when he was four. And he enjoyed it enough, but, you know, he didn't really have a whole lot of retention. It, yeah. uh, my son, he, I tried reading it to him earlier, but he was still in like, you know, cat in the hat phase where it's, yeah. Yeah. there's not a bunch of pictures and a lot of fun wordplay right off the yeah. bat. He, he couldn't pay attention. So I was all like, yeah. you know what, we'll put this aside and we'll try again. We've got a nice little illustrated edition. You know, he'll, he'll enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. He's old enough to pay attention. Exactly. To yeah. that point now. That's awesome. I read all the way through the Silmarillion when he was a baby, you know, just well, yeah. he couldn't, he, he couldn't, he couldn't say tell no. you to stop. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Captive <Get> audience. Aboard. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. What's your favorite book in the Legendarium and why? Uh, mine is actually Fellowship. A lot of people kind of mm. look at me funny when I say that, but. No, no. Mm-hmm. no. I, I actually like Fellowship because it feels it's more homely. It's, yes. It hasn't gotten to the, the grandiose epicness that the other books get to. Um, it feels more like the hometown heroes kind of thing. I mean, even like yeah. even yeah. playing Dungeons and Dragons, I prefer like the first five to seven levels because you're the local heroes. Yeah. And yeah, that's how it feels like in mm-hmm. the, you know, the Fellowship. Whereas once you get into Two Towers and you know even more so in um, Return of the King, it's it's very much, we're saving the world instead of we're just yeah. protecting <laughs> our own little home. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Yeah, they get farther away from the Shire. And it, it, yeah. it, it that's true. You, you usually think about how great, how epic it gets. And, and that's usually a good thing. But, but you do kind of lose something, don't you? Yeah. Eventually you kind of get disconnected a little bit and it's... Yeah. It, it doesn't feel quite as important. I mean, it, it still feels important, mm. but like but how in a different way, come a less back, personal yeah. or less, uh, less intimate way. Yeah. 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 Kind of like how, yeah. when they come back and, you know, uh, um, oh, in yeah. the scouring of the Shire, when love Sam yeah. says, you know, it comes to home to you because it is home. Right. Right. I love that right. line. And yeah, I think that was for me, at least with the films, that was the most disappointing part was not, not getting to see the scouring of the Shire and all the, oh, yeah. Yeah. the changes to those wonderful characters, those four guys. Yeah, uh, you know that we would have seen otherwise. Yeah, 
Well, if I can ask a, a follow-up, James, uh, I think you said you've read some of the non-legendarium works. Uh, do you have a favorite one of those? Um, I'd have to say right now, I think it's probably um, Smith of Wooten. That's a good one. Good choice. That's mine. Yeah. yeah. Although I really did love the, uh, the uh, uh, original Tom Bombadil, the poetry. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Adventures, the, the collection of poetry. Yeah. That's excellent. Awesome. Well, now for a uh, lightning round of quick questions and answers. Bring it on. Who's your favorite first age elf? Uh, first age would probably, well, without without a doubt, it has to be Finn Golfin. There you go. That's a good one. What about favorite hobbit? Favorite hobbit is probably Sam. Rohan or Gondor? I got to go Rohan. It's, it's the, the pseudo Viking in me. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, all right, this is all right. This is a tough one. Balrog wings, actual or metaphorical? Ah, uh, so this that one I can't give a really short answer because because they're <laughs> mutable. They're oh, mutable. Oh, oh, some oh. of them could have had wings, and some of them may not. Did Durin's bane have wings? No, I don't think he did. But did some of the others? Could have. We don't know. I mean, they, they never. Mm. Tolkien never gives a definitive description of what these are. What all Balrogs look like. All right, well, we're going to have to edit that answer. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) As long as we're on the same page about Durin's Bane. There you go. That's that's, that's a good start. Barring an actual lineup of all the Balrogs together. That's true. We can look at all of them. You know, I can just imagine a police lineup of all the Balrogs, but they'd probably be like those dragon drawings where they vary in size, and one of them is like a (laughs) world-eating massive thing. So, anyway. Those were great answers, James. We really appreciate it. We have truly enjoyed having you here in the North Wing, but... I think it's time for all of us to head on back to the common room and join the rest of the listeners. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks again. And James, we hope to have you back for the next questions after nightfall. I'll be here. I hope so. And now, folks, we return you to your regularly scheduled podcast, Already in Progress. Well, those are always fun. And I've always said that my favorite thing about doing this podcast, aside from... Well, the pure joy of spending a couple of hours talking to you every week, Alan, uh, is, is meeting Tolkien fans all over the world. Oh, who bribed you for that comment? Right? I, right? I know. It just, it's from the heart. Purely there from the go. heart. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but truly, I mean, everybody has a unique lens through which they yeah. view Tolkien's work. And I just, I, I just love hearing about them all. I agree. And we'll have some more of these segments to come. Mm-hmm. But we've also got another opportunity coming up to meet Tolkien fans all over the world, don't we? Oh, yes, we do, folks. We want to remind you all of the very big news that we shared at the tail end of last week's special 100th episode. You might have tuned out, and if you did, well, shame on you, but you'll still get to hear the news. (laughs) Sean and I are pleased to announce that the Prancing Pony podcast has been invited to record an episode live with the special guests at Tolkien 2019 in Birmingham. That's right. We're going to be at the largest gathering of Tolkien fans for this once-in-a-lifetime event. Now, we're still working out details, and we don't know if we're going to have time to talk to everyone who's there, but mm-hmm. the confirmed guests next year include Tom Shippey, Wayne Hammond, Christina Skull, Alan Lee, Ted Naismith, Brian Sibley, and Dimitri Fimi. Wow. Now, at least two of those names you might recognize. They've been on the show already. That's and right. And it's possible, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that one or two might join us, either again or for the first time, before we see them in Birmingham. Yep. And I know that the Tolkien Society is working on bringing in other guest speakers, folks that we're going to have a chance to bring to you, listeners of the Prancing Pony podcast. Now, as we get more details about it, we will be sure to let you know. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, look out for new Prancing Pony podcast-themed merchandise that we're going to be offering to help cover the expenses of sending us both to Birmingham next summer. 
That's right. Now, those are going to be featured mostly on our Facebook page, so be sure that you both follow our page and like it in order to be notified. I don't know why Facebook allows you to like a page without following it or follow it without liking it, but please do both. With that done, let's get on with the conclusion of The Shadow of the Past. All right. Well, I've got the first reading tonight, Alan, so I'm going to just go yes, ahead you do. and jump right in. I think that's a good idea. And I'm jumping right into Gandalf's head and doing his uh, dialogue here. Okay. This is not my normal voice. Do not adjust your sets. <laughs> Making out Gollum's part and fitting it into the gap in the history required some thought. I may have started with guesses about Gollum, but I am not guessing now. I know. I have seen him. You have seen Gollum? exclaimed Frodo in amazement. Yes. The obvious thing to do, of course, if one could. I tried long ago, but I have managed it at last. Then what happened after Bilbo escaped from him? Do you know that? Not so clearly. What I have told you is what Gollum was willing to tell, though not, of course, in the way I have reported it. Gollum is a liar, and you have to sift his words. Mm. For instance, he called the ring his birthday present, and he stuck to that. He said it came from his grandmother, who had lots of beautiful things of that kind. A ridiculous story. I have no doubt that Smeagol's mother was a matriarch, a great person in her way, but to talk of her possessing many elven rings was absurd, and as for giving them away, it was a lie. But it was a lie with a grain of truth. Well, the best lies always do have a grain of truth at the middle. And it's true. Was it, it was Melkor who, uh, who knew? Uh -huh. We saw that with Melkor a long time ago. He knew exactly how to do that. Mm -hmm. Best way to pull the strings right there. Well, and it's interesting to see the sins of Melkor come up again so quickly, right? Isn't it? Um, yeah. And, and I know lying wasn't really one of the capital S, capital M sins of Melkor, but I mean, <laughs> it, it was something that he was kind of known for. Well, um, yeah, deception of others and deception even of himself. Remember how he, he, he deceived himself, which is something we'll see with Gollum. Yeah. And I really, really like the clear parallel um, between the specific lie about how he got his birthday present mm -hmm. or his quote unquote birthday present. You know, right, right. Gollum lies about how he got the ring just like Bilbo did. Yep. And, uh, and that, is, that is a very interesting parallel. It's evidence, again, of the ring at work, just like we saw mm -hmm. with Bilbo. Here it is uh, as well. Absolutely. I, I like this phrase, you have to sift his words. Mm. Yeah. In other words, there's going to be something of value in there. You know, when you're sifting, uh, when you're sifting something, you're getting rid of all the junk, but you're leaving the nuggets of goodness. And yeah. so the idea here is yeah. you've got to listen to, to several hundred words in order to get three or four that are useful. Right. But there yeah. are useful bits of information in there. Yeah. 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 It's not entirely false or unhelpful. Right, exactly. The the lie with the grain of truth. You know, you sift through the lies and you'll find that grain of truth. Absolutely. Uh, now, we're not going to read the next little bit, but I want to at least point out that, that coming up uh, is the part about Gandalf saying that he endured Gollum. But, and I am going to quote this part. He says, the truth was desperately important. And in the end, I had to be harsh. I put the fear of fire on him mm. and wrung the true story out of him bit by bit. Fear of fire. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. The fear of fire. There's this sort of um, element of, of psychological torture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gandalf being harsh. And, you know, I think you'll, you'll see a lot of opinions about this. You'll see a lot of thoughts and discussion. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about it a little bit, but, uh, you know, we're not claiming to know exactly what, uh, what Gandalf did. But at first glance, this does seem to be a little bit of a, of a moral contradiction of sorts. We get this theme through the book. Mm -hmm. uh, especially as it relates to the ring, that you, you can't have 
an ends justify the means sort of approach to things. You know, we can't use the ring to defeat Sauron even. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that there are certain things you cannot do no matter what the ends are. Right. So what's the distinction here? What is it that Why is it okay allow... for Gandalf to use this, right. you know, to basically threaten Gollum with, with torture, fear of fire? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe that is the distinction, is that it is only the threat of torture and that he doesn't actually torture him. I mean, I, I'm not trying to uh, parse words here, but that's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, like, it's like when I threaten my kids that I'm going to throw away all their toys if they don't clean right. up their room. Right. You didn't actually throw I'm not really going to do that. Yeah. Not all of them. Maybe one. No, maybe one really or special two. one. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to go in the garage and maybe it'll go to Goodwill <laughs> right. the next time I make a run. Yeah. Right. Right. But I'm not actually going to scoop everything up, put it in a trash bag and throw it away. <laughs> Dump them on the street and say, free toys. <laughs> Although I have scooped them all. Oh I have goodness. scooped up a bunch of toys and thrown them in a trash bag and just like yeah. kept them in my office for a oh, little yeah, while. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've put cars in car jail before and, you know, had all the Hot yeah. Wheels in my closet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you have yeah, them in there for term. a few months and then you realize like, oh, yeah, I've got that. <laughs> well, then you can give them out and say, hey, guess what? I got you a new car. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Wait terrible. a minute, That Dad. is terrible. That looks familiar. I, I remember this one. Why does it already have my name written on it? All right, enough with the dad jokes. <laughs> We're going to get some feedback on that. We probably um, are. <laughs> I mean, part of me thinks that this is just Gandalf being his, to, to reference sort of a, an old man joke, uh, this is him being his grumpy old man. He, he may even be exaggerating a little bit, uh, kind of. Hmm. Interesting. Like he didn't actually threaten Gollum. He just, you know. He just kind of yelled at him and said, <laughs> give me that information, you know, now. Get off Tell my me. lawn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Get off. Get, get thee off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> get off my lawn gangrel you gangrel creature uh yeah. so i don't know i Could mean be. i i, I think it's important to discuss as long as he didn't uncloak to... himself no golly that's, no that's the one thing we <laughs> that's, don't want. that's real torture yeah <laughs> we hates it precious we hates it <laughs> He's got names for the white face and the yellow face. What's he going to call that? Is what I, I don't know. know. No, I don't know. Don't want to know. <laughs> no, I don't want to know. All right. Oh, goodness. Things that may end up on the cutting room floor for 500, Alex. Uh, With good reason. All right. Reel it back in. Exactly. Uh, so we get the end of the riddle game, but really that's about it. That's at the end of that part of the story. He's done. He, he stopped. He doesn't say anymore, anymore past that. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. But but then there's he comes out with some really creepy stuff though. I mean, oh, doesn't he? Oh, uh, you know, he's oh, people would see if he would stand being kicked and yeah. driven into a hole and robbed. Uh, th this this I've whole end of this paragraph, good friends yeah. are very strong. The whole end of this paragraph is very creepy. There's a there's oh, a real is. like you know like the mob goons are going to come and whack <laughs> Bilbo. Hey, Bilbo. We have good friends. We got good friends. That's right. We have powerful friends. Very strong. Guido, Luigi, <laughs> Mario. It's a me, Mario. Well, well, now you're just now it's just Nintendo characters. Well, I know. I started off with an Italian name, and then I just went right downhill. And, and gonna, we're Italian. They're going to so throw fireballs at. They're going to throw fireballs and jump. They're going to throw fireballs and jump on his shell. Um, right. Yeah. You know, this is definitely. You're right. It's very creepy. Uh, this idea that uh, you know he's going to chase down Bilbo no matter what it takes. I yeah, hate him. Yeah. I curse his name, and I know where he came from. I mean. I don't know. What yeah. did he do? Put this on his Facebook profile? You got to keep your privacy settings right, man. <laughs> you totally do. You, you got yeah. to. I mean, it's, yeah, it's all you've yeah. got. Um, but no, I mean, Bilbo did tell Gollum his his name himself. And yeah. and that was, I mean, I, you know, this was very adventurer. early. 
Yeah. It was very yeah. early in his adventuring career. He was mm-hmm. still pretty naive. Yeah. Uh, and we saw that, you know, later on, by the time he encountered Smaug, he had gotten a little bit wiser. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a little still, bit, though. Still not he too still wise. He still gave too much information. He still gave yeah. too much information, for sure. Yeah. Um, but didn't come right out and say, I'm Bilbo Baggins. Which Hi, is I'm Bilbo Baggins, a bag end in the Shire. How are you doing? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and Gandalf even says, once he told Gollum his name, after Just that, it's name. not difficult yeah. to discover his country. I mean, how many places no. in Middle Earth have Bagginses? That's true. So, <laughs> so the the menacing talk of revenge really is is pretty foreboding, and it leads to the hunt. Right? Mm-hmm. It leads to Gollum heading out, leaving the mountains, and actually tracking down Bilbo. Yeah, leaving the mountains. Can I mean? Can we talk about that? That speaks to the power of the Ring here, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, Gollum wouldn't he... have left his cave. No, I mean he loved those mountains. We we saw yeah. that in the last episode. He you know, he went down there to go find, to sort of plumb all the secrets of the mountains. He was right. scared of the sun. Roots and, and beginnings, yeah. Yeah, and, and this was where he was comfortable. This was his, uh, this was his hole, his hobbit hole. You're um, right. And, yeah. and, and that really does speak to the power of the ring, that, that losing it would be an impetus yeah. for him to actually leave this, this place of safety. Yeah. Well, and it apparently, losing it actually helped him kind of have the ability to do it. This text, it's a blink and you miss it moment, but there's that bit about how that the ring was no longer devouring him. He began to revive a little. He was mm, less yeah. timid. And and of course, he began to feel the age that was on him, you know, that yeah. he hadn't been feeling the effects of with the ring. Yeah. So yeah, this is really the power of the ring and the lure of the ring. Yep. Uh, and Definitely. he made it pretty far. I mean, he gets all the way to Eskaroth and Dale from the yeah. Misty Mountains. And then he tries heading back. Well, pretty, and, and that's, pretty amazing journey. And that's where we saw that it was uh, it was rather dangerous for Bilbo to be so famous, wasn't it? Because Gandalf says, you know, many had heard Bilbo's name and knew where he came from. I mean, that's yeah. probably where he got the information about where he yeah, came from. Yeah, that's true about where he came from. You yeah. know, all he has to, if, knowing the name, all he has to do is go to these, you know, places like Esgaroth and Dale, where Bilbo Baggins was a name that people knew. He was one of the, yeah. you know, one of Thorin's party. And Now, so, the interesting thing, I'm trying to imagine him actually doing the search because He's not invisible. I mean, he's pretty stealthy, I would imagine, but probably he's, he's, yeah. he's not going to walk into town and say, excuse me, I have a question. <laughs> Has it precious, I'm looking, I'm looking for a, a, a little man about this tall, <laughs> precious, his name about, is Bill Bell Baggins. He's about my height. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't see him doing that. No. And I can't no, see the I people right. in Escroft saying, uh, sure, I, I believe he came from the Shire, yes, which absolutely. is over the let me, let me give you all of his information. Here's his yeah, social security number. Happen. Yeah, I don't yeah, think exactly. so. Yeah, exactly. No. Um, but no, I think you're probably right. I think he probably was sneaking around. He, yeah. he, he would have done that if he'd had the ring. I think he probably, he wouldn't have yeah. been as good at it without the ring, but. It might he, have taken uh, him a little while to gather the yeah, news. I mean, yeah. but news of the events had gone far and wide and people knew where he came from. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, yep. and, and of course, he's very clever about this kind of stuff. Remember the very first things he did with the ring. Uh, we're sneaking the very first around. Was gather yeah, information. Yeah. Exactly. Sneak around and gather information yeah. and use it against people. Yep. Absolutely. But then he did, as you said, he did. He didn't turn back. He tried to go to the Shire, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I'm going to pick up, isn't it? I think it is. So why don't you go ahead? Yeah. But at the western edge of Mirkwood, the trail turned away. It wandered off southwards and passed out of the Wood Elves' ken and was lost. And then I made a great mistake. Yes, Frodo, not the first, though I fear it may prove the worst. I let the matter be. I let him go, for I had much else to think of at that time, and I still trusted the lore of Saruman. 
Well, that was years ago. I've paid for it since with many dark and dangerous days. The trail was long cold when I took it up again after Bilbo left here, and my search would have been in vain, but for the help that I had from a friend, Aragorn, the greatest traveler and huntsman of this age of the world. Together we sought for Gollum down the whole length of Wilderland, without hope and without success. But at last, when I had given up the chase and turned to other paths, Gollum was found. My friend returned out of great perils, bringing the miserable creature with him. What he had been doing, he would not say. He only wept and called us cruel, with many a golem in his throat. And when we pressed him, he whined and cringed, and rubbed his long hands, licking his fingers as if they pained him, as if he remembered some old torture. But I am afraid there is no possible doubt. He had made his slow, sneaking way, step by step, mile by mile, south, down at last, to the land of Mordor. Wow. Well, there you go. Boy. Yeah. That, I love at the very beginning of that passage, mm -hmm. Gandalf's admission of a, of a mistake. Yeah. And the little side, like, yes, and not the first. Not in other the words, first. like, Frodo probably expects it's the first. Right. Yeah, <laughs> because know? he thinks Gandalf is so wise. and Yeah, he, yeah. He doesn't... I'm a wizard, can't make mistakes. And we've seen this. I mean, we know that he's a Maya. We know that's mm -hmm. you know, he's one of the Ainur, one of the offspring of Iluvatar's thought. But... That's right. All over the Silmarillion, we saw the Ainur make mistakes. We know they're not infallible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not the first is kind of interesting. I know. He sounds, I was say, he sounds like Mandos, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, he Frodo. Does. And not the first. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if Tolkien had written that part of, uh, of the that Silmarillion. That particular line, just not this. the first. I don't know whether there's anything to that, though. It is just a probably, phrase. That, probably that not. It is right just well. a phrase, but it, it's it's kind of funny because it, it reminds me that. of does, totally. a classic uh, Valor and Blunder. <laughs> <laughs> One of the classic Valor and Blunders. The first is leave the elves where they are. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, goodness. The second is never go in against Feanor when a Silmaril's on the line. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we get the first mention of Aragorn. The greatest yes. traveler and huntsman of this age of the world. Isn't that a cool little introduction to this character that we're not going to mm -hmm. see for a while? And when we do see him, we're not going to know. Yeah. We're not going to know his name at first. Not the man who should be king. Mm. The greatest traveler and huntsman of this age of the world. That's a good point. Well, Gandalf knows who he is, but he doesn't say anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It's not all. It's not about his lineage and it's not about what he's, it's about his accomplishments. What he's destined to become. It's about his accomplishments. Right. It's about who he Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yeah. Not who he could be, but who he is, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Really interesting stuff. But we also get the mention of torture again, don't we? We get that, that well, Gandalf says that Gollum was licking his fingers as if they pained him, rubbing his long hands, as if he remembered some old torture. Oh, yeah. So earlier we had mentioned Gandalf's threat of torture, right? The, the, right, the fear yeah. of fire uh, right. in order to get the truth from Gollum. And here, obviously, Gollum is remembering some actual torture. You know, he's licking his, his fingers. He's, he's whining. Uh, he's remembering some old torture, as, as Gandalf literally says. I think it's worth actually taking a look at that, jumping forward. I'm going to go ahead and go to Book 4, Chapter 1. Uh, that's The Taming of Smeagol. And I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from there that we'll get to, oh, in, I don't know what, four years or so? <laughs> so, so. Something like that. Feels like forever from now. So this is after Sam and, and Frodo have captured Gollum. Uh, and Frodo tells him, he, he looks straight into Gollum's eyes, which flinched and twisted away. You know that, or you guess well enough, Smeagol, he said quietly and sternly. We are going to Mordor, of course. And you know the way there, I believe. Ah, 
said Gollum, covering his ears with his hands as if such frankness and the open speaking of the names hurt him. We guessed, yes, we guessed, he whispered. And we didn't want them to go, did we? No, precious, not the nice old bits. Ashes, ashes and dust, and thirst there is, and bits, bits, bits and hawks, thousands of hawkses. Nice hobbits mustn't go to those places. So you have been there, Frodo insisted, and you're being drawn back there, aren't you? Yes, yes, no, shrieked Gollum. Once, by accident it was, wasn't it, precious? Yes, by accident. But we won't go back. No, no. Then suddenly his voice and language changed, and he sobbed in his throat, and he spoke, but not to them. Leave me alone, Colin. You hurt me. Oh, my poor hands, Colin. I, we, I don't want to come back. I can't find it. I'm tired. I, we, we can't find it. Colin, Colin, nowhere. They're always awake. Dwarves, men, and elves. Terrible elves with bright eyes. I can't find it. Ah! He got up and clenched his long hand into a bony, fleshless knot, shaking it towards the east. We won't, he cried. Not for you. Wow. So I think we can safely say he was probably tortured. He was very tortured. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Wow. And yeah. what, a, what a powerful scene that is. Oh, it is. It's... Man, yeah. very, very powerful. Uh, and, and it's just a reminder of what he had experienced uh, and, and just how, how deep those scars would be Yeah, uh, you know, in, in his mind. Uh, I mean, I, I can't yes, imagine. A, a traumatic experience. I mean, and, and obviously something that sticks with him. He, he, you know, he mm -hmm. has memory of that, of that trauma. Yeah. Remembering yeah. some old torture. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And later, just a couple of chapters later, we're reminded, uh, again, we're getting a, a subtle hint at it. Uh, Frodo's talking about Minas Ithil uh, and how it belonged to Isildur. And he talks about how Isildur cut the finger off Sauron. And Gollum says that, yes, he only has four on the black hand, but they are enough. Hmm. So it's, again, a reminder that even with four fingers, he could, he could still do plenty, uh, plenty right. of harm. And it just reminds wow, him and that, again. And that tells us that Sauron actually laid hands on Gollum directly. Personally which yeah. I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like for him. Yeah. Uh, for the master of the one ring to, to actually have his yeah. hands on you. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Wow. That is incredible. Terrifying. But it does, it, and, and, and think about, <laughs> put yourself in Sauron's shoes for a moment here. Um, <laughs> imagine this from his perspective and, and realize that you are holding um, this, this, this creature who had your ring, your, your, Oh, precious, yeah. your precious your one precious. ring that you, your Absolutely. ruling ring had it for 500 years mm. and because he had it and it was taken from him now you don't have it um the fact that he let Gollum live tells us that he had a specific reason for that i mean oh, yeah, i'm, I'm yeah. reminded of nothing so much as like morgoth releasing hurin yeah. so that hurin could do further damage um, he could, Hurin could Absolutely. do more damage by Morgoth letting him go as yeah. opposed to, you know, to killing him. Absolutely. And I think that's exactly what Sauron does with Gollum. And as, as and much as Sauron wanted to kill him, I'm yeah, sure he knew yeah. you were my only hope of finding exactly. that ring. Exactly. Exactly. Or at least and you're my best that's hope. Fast. Yeah. That's, and that's just fascinating. It is. When you, when it you is. think about putting all those scenes together and really seeing that picture emerge. Wow. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Yeah. Uh, so let's have you read the very, in fact, you pick up exactly where I left off, don't you? Mm-hmm. A heavy silence fell in the room. 
Frodo could hear his heart beating. Even outside, everything seemed still. No sound of Sam's shears could now be heard. Yes, to Mordor, said Gandalf. Alas, Mordor draws all wicked things, and the dark power was bending all its will to gather them there. The ring of the enemy would leave its mark, too, leave him open to the summons. And all folk were whispering then of the new shadow in the south, and its hatred of the west. There were his fine new friends, who would help him in his revenge. Wretched fool. In that land he would learn much, too much for his comfort, and sooner or later, as he lurked in pride on the borders, he would be caught and taken for examination. Whoa. Well, that's where we get well, that, exactly that's a, that. There's huh? a euphemism for you, examination. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that is precisely. He's not, he's we... not, they're, they're not making him take the SAT. No, no. No, this is not, uh, <laughs> we're not going to verify that you're CPR certified here. This is, no. um, nope. and, and of course this is exactly the passage that we probably should have read before I talked about torture, but, uh, I, I think we can still manage. No, that's all right. Because the, we got it in there with the hand, you know, when he's rubbing yeah. his hands and I think it's, yeah. it's very powerful there. Isn't it? So I think, I think, I think, so. I think we brought it in at the right spot. I agree. Well, he does learn a lot, doesn't Sauron? I mean, he learns that Gollum found it. He knows, he knows that, that it's Gollum a great ring. Him. He knows it's not one and of he, the three. He knows it's not one of the three, the seven, or the nine. So right, he knows which one it is. Yeah, and he knows of hobbits and of the yeah. Shire, and he wow. might even know the name of Baggins. Oh, that is just yeah, yeah. That is terrifying. Uh, in fact, I'm going to pick up there because this is a passage where we we get some of the most well known lines in this passage, don't we? Yeah, oh, this is yeah. such a great passage. It really is. I'm going to try to do it justice. Uh, please oh, you're going to oh, you're going to do great. Oh, yeah, we'll see about that, but. The Shire, he may be seeking for it now if he has not already found out where it lies. Indeed, Frodo, I fear that he may even think that the long unnoticed name of Baggins has become important. But this is terrible, cried Frodo, far worse than the worst that I imagined from your hints and warnings. Oh, Gandalf, best of friends, what am I to do? For now I am really afraid. What am I to do? Oh, what a pity that Bilbo did not stab that vile creature when he had a chance. Pity? It was pity that stayed his hand. Pity and mercy, not to strike without need. And he has been well rewarded, Frodo. Be sure that he took so little hurt from the evil, and escaped in the end, because he began his ownership of the ring so, with pity. I am sorry, said Frodo, but I am frightened, and I do not feel any pity for Gollum. You have not seen him, Gandalf broke in. No, and I don't want to, said Frodo. I can't understand you. Do you mean to say that you and the elves have let him live on after all those horrible deeds? Now, at any rate, he is as bad as an orc and just an enemy. He deserves death. Deserves it? I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. For even the very wise cannot see all ends. I have not much hope that Gollum can be cured before he dies, but there is a chance of it. And he is bound up with the fate of the ring. My heart tells me that he has some part to play yet, for good or ill, before the end. And when that comes, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many, yours not least. Oh, man. 
So I feel like we could just lines. spend an entire episode on this passage. Couldn't honestly. we? We really could. I mean, and part of me kind of wishes we had. Uh, we could really explore these notions of pity and mercy and talk about Nienna. We, we could take <sighs> the, uh, the, the leisurely pace that Corey Olson takes and <laughs> really focus Two on Two paragraphs in a three-hour episode. at a time, yeah. I'd um, love to do that, but at some point we need to actually finish the story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we do. And we and, and we wouldn't be as good at it as he is anyway. No, no, so we're not we're not Corey Olson, and we make no. we make no attempts to be. No, um, we do not. Oh goodness, yeah, we really could have spent a long time on this. And and there's a part of me that thinks that would have been great. Maybe maybe, and this is a hint for our patrons at that uh, Kierdan's contribution tier. Maybe this is a topic you want to explore more. Uh, feel free to make this one of your quarterly suggestions for a special episode. Oh, that's a fun idea. Yeah. And for those of you listeners who aren't part of the Fellowship of the Podcast, you might want to reconsider that because you do get access to exclusive content, including a quarterly special on a topic chosen by them, which might one day be this. Uh, but you know what? Let's at least give it a few minutes, shall we? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think we've got a few things we could probably talk about here. Yeah. Um, starting with uh, Frodo has the reaction, I think. Most of us would have, right? Oh, first yeah. Of all, yeah. I do not blame him at all for this. No, this not, not at all. First of all, he's he's freaking out. Oh, this is terrible. Far worse than the worst that I imagined. But yeah, then, yeah, yeah he, he, has a, he has a profound lack of empathy, you know? Yeah. Um, what a pity that Bilbo did not stab him when he could yeah. have. Man, if he were just dead, this wouldn't have been a problem. Right. And, yeah. and I understand where he's coming from. His thought process sure. is, wait a minute, if Bilbo had killed, uh, had killed Gollum at that point, Sauron would never have learned that I had the ring. He wouldn't right. learn, that, would never have heard of the Shire, would not have learned. Right. And, and what he's not thinking of is that eventually Sauron would have figured that out. Yeah. You know, his riders are out, as we learn in, in Unfinished Tales. And eventually true. they would have discovered where the ring had gone. So it, it, maybe yeah. for another couple of generations, you know, who knows? But yeah. uh, eventually the, it would have been Are found. the riders out right now? I don't think the riders are out. I don't think they are out quite yet. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're out they're going soon. To be. They're coming out soon, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I shouldn't have said that they're out right now, but but they are out. They're coming out soon. Soon, yeah. They're, and, they're coming out very they, soon and they will be lucky. And he will soon find where the ring is, uh, yes. even, even without Gollum. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, we can totally understand where Frodo is coming from. Totally. It's and you know, wouldn't it be easier to just have dealt with this problem then? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but no. And and I love I love Gandalf's reply. You know, oh, it's a beautiful reply. It's it's straight from Nienna, first of all. Uh, yeah. You know, this this comes from that his his time in Valinor before when he was Aloran the the Maya. Mm -hmm. uh, he worked with or studied under, if you want to call it that, under Nienna and learned pity. Yeah. I mean, I'll have to look that text up, but that's exactly what it, what it, the Silmarillion tells us is yeah. that yeah. that's where he learned pity. And how key is that for the rest of the entire Middle Earth that he happened to learn pity oh, yeah. from Nienna? Yeah. 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 It's absolutely key. And this is one of those passages, this thing, this bit about pity that is just I don't know. This is just so key to understanding where Tolkien is coming from in Lord yes. of the Rings, I think. I mean, this is really what separates the good guys from the bad guys, isn't it? Isn't it? And, yeah, you're and right. We, and we talked about that with Bilbo. And in Tolkien's world, we see how the good guys can be rewarded for making mm -hmm. the right choice because Gandalf actually says, yeah. you know, the only reason that Bilbo is okay is because he began his possession of the ring with pity. Yeah. He might not have been able to even give it up of his own accord had he not begun that way. Mm -hmm. He might still have the ring. 
Right. Uh, I mean, you can't even, I don't even want to think about what would have happened uh, had he not been able to, to give that up of his free will. And he wouldn't have had he begun it with, with that, with, with, a murder, with, an, act really. of, with an act of murder. Yeah. 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 But it's nice. It, it shows, uh, it shows Gandalf's wisdom that he's able to see this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows Frodo's, you know, kind of naivete, a, a kind of naivete that I think yeah. a lot of us would have. Um, yeah. I have to say, um, when I think about good editing choices that Tolkien made, um, mm-hmm. I, there's, there's something in, uh, actually there's two early drafts of this chapter, the, the first phase draft and the second phase draft that okay. are both published in return of the shadow. Um, that's history of middle earth part six. And, uh, in, in those early versions of the chapter, Gandalf is much more insulting to, uh, <laughs> it's, it, Bingo is his name at the time, not Frodo, but Bingo is his name. Oh, <laughs> I just wanted to make I sure walked right that. into that one. That yeah, you did, man. <laughs> um, but uh, he, yeah, it, his, so Bingo says basically the same thing about, you know, what right. a shame that Bilbo didn't kill Gollum. And Gandalf says, what nonsense you do talk sometimes, Bingo. Uh, and then he wow. goes into the, the stuff about pity. It was pity that prevented him. I yeah. mean, it's great. Yeah. It's great for a laugh, like stop talking nonsense. But yeah, but. Aside from just just the cheap laugh, I think the final text yeah. that we get here does such a much better job of showing the wisdom gap between Frodo mm. and Gandalf. Because because Frodo Frodo does kind of have this knee jerk reaction. Oh, I wish he would have just killed him. Then we wouldn't have this yeah. problem. But Gandalf is wiser, and and he understands why Bilbo's pity was was the right thing to do. It was and it was yeah. the good thing to do. Well, you know, and that just reminds me how wise Gandalf is. Remember, I was talking about Nienna. There's only that one sentence in the Silmarillion that talks about him, and I. I've pulled it up real quick. I'll read it because it takes almost no time. I, okay. okay. I said one sentence too. Wisest of the Maiar was Olorin. He too dwelt in Lorien, but his ways took him often to the house of Nienna, and of her he learned pity and patience. There you go. So he was the wisest of the Maiar. That's, that's a pretty high. I yeah. Mean, yeah. That's really saying something. When you think of something like the wisdom of Melian that Melian. we saw mm-hmm. all over the Silmarillion. Yeah. Um, of course, nobody listened to her. But she was very wise. <laughs> that is absolutely true. I had forgotten about that. Nobody listens to Melian. Yeah. Nobody listens to Melian, mostly because yeah. she was married to well, yeah, that one guy. To that guy, <laughs> Elu Thingal. He started out okay enough. He but did. Man, he, he really he did. Yeah, to a jerk by the end. <laughs> kind of did. Yeah, I'd say he did. That's right. Yeah. Um, but there in the in, in the house of Nienna is where he learned pity and patience. And mm-hmm. I thought that was an, an interesting little ad. So we'll look for moments like that where, where yeah. patience comes into play, though this is certainly one of them as well, because he talked about earlier how I don't have much hope that he could be saved, but I, I don't want to rush into anything. I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to do anything out of rash judgment because my my instinct says he's still got a part to play. Exactly. Yeah. Before the he's end, let this play out. the pity yeah. of Bilbo. Yeah. Gandalf is playing the long game here. Yeah, um, as you might expect uh, an immortal being to do. Yeah, yeah, that's but fair. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's really brilliant, and it's one of those places where knowing the Silmarillion can really enrich your reading of Lord of the Rings. Mm, yes, this is definitely one of those moments. A lot of Gandalf's best moments are enlightened by that, even though there's just such a true. tiny little bit there. Yeah, I think that's true. Though I would add also maybe a little bit of unfinished tales to that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Read the Astari essay. Especially yeah. the stuff in the Astari essay is fantastic for understanding Gandalf and Saruman. Yeah. Yeah. We may spend a little bit of time pulling that up at some point. Uh, maybe not as a full-blown episode, but maybe uh, when we get a chance, maybe when Gandalf and Saruman uh, have their little 
Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good chat. Good place for a sidebar. chat on the Astari. <laughs> They're going to have a beer together, and it's not going to end well. <laughs> no, it's not. Glasses are going to be broken. Yeah, he's going to throw Gandalf yeah, down the faces bar. Faces smashed into bars. Yeah, <laughs> vodka bottles broken over heads. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I do want to talk about uh, one more thing in here about uh, the the wisdom gap between Gandalf and Frodo, and yeah. that is that's the a fact good phrase, by the way. I like that. Fr- Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Frodo makes this assertion that Gollum is as bad as an orc and just an enemy. Mm. He deserves death. Yeah. Well, Gandalf doesn't respond to that directly. No, he and doesn't, does he? I think that's interesting because, I mean, again, having read a little bit about history of Middle Earth and, and our listeners have heard us talk about this before. Sure. We know that, that orcs in, in Middle Earth are wholly corrupted. I mean, they are. Right. They're, they're, they're twisted. Past. Yeah. yeah. Past any redemption. They're, they're twisted creatures created, not even created. They're perverted yeah. by Morgoth and Sauron. Um, but Gollum's not that. Gollum is still a hobbit or a human, really. Uh, and he's still capable of being redeemed. Isn't that interesting? That is such a big difference between him and yeah. the orcs. Yeah, it is. And, and so Gandalf doesn't address that directly, though he knows that Frodo is wrong. But his response does kind of hint at that, I think, because... What I love about Gandalf's response is that he's reminding us of Gollum's nature. There's a little difference between the way Frodo says Gollum deserves death and the way Gandalf says it. Uh, I, If I'm Gandalf here, I'm thinking he's saying Gollum deserves death because he's a mortal man. Hobbits are mortal uh, men, right? The second born right, children of the right, right. He deserves death because he is meant to die, not to it be stretched. It is his nature. By right. the ring. It is his nature. Not, his nature is not to be stretched and you know kept alive indefinitely as mm-hmm. he has been. He right. deserves death because death is Iluvatar's gift to him. And yeah. Sauron's ring has withheld that gift. Yeah, or, or delayed it. Yeah. Yeah. And Frodo, Frodo thinks Gollum deserves death as a punishment. Mm. Gandalf is saying that he deserves the gift of his death due to his nature. Wow. And it's it's an interesting, just a very interesting perspective difference that, again, knowing more about the Legendarium really helps you understand. Yeah. Because knowing what we know about the larger Legendarium, that that is kind of exactly how we would expect a mortal to view death as a punishment versus yeah. a Maya viewing it as a gift. And it's just Boy. another one of those, uh, you know, gaps in wisdom about the world. You know, you're right. Our understanding of that, knowing the the wider Legendarium, really does bring this into into a different light. I mean, I think that the surface meaning is still valid too, where where Gandalf's basically saying deserves it. Well, of course he does. Many many deserve that because he's done um, a lot of bad. Because things, he's done yeah. evil things, mm-hmm. and he's not he's not arguing that he doesn't or hasn't earned uh, the death penalty. Let's say uh, for his actions that that he he's he's not saying that's not the case. Mm-hmm. He's just saying you don't have the wisdom to make that determination, and you ought not to be too eager to do so. But I like the way you put it, that it's not just that he deserves death for his his crimes, per se. It's that he deserves to be freed. He deserves mm-hmm. to finally have that, that fate, even though it's un- unlikely that he would get any sort of reward, <laughs> I mean, realistically, mm-hmm. but at least he'd be freed from the world. Probably not, but yeah. But we don't really know what happens. No, to, we don't. We have to zero, men, you know, to men after they die, and maybe there yeah. was some sort of, you know, way for him to to yeah to redeem himself or redeem his, himself. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Tolkien was a Catholic, so there. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe he's in the halls of Mandos for uh, till the end of the till the end of the world. Yeah. Hey, Fanor, how you doing? 
Or, or maybe there's a purgatorial idea. I mean, um, yeah, we don't, we just I know don't there really was know. initially. Remember, we talked about yeah. the uh, what was it? A ship that was sailing around. The very early version in the Book of Lost Tales, yeah. there was a there was a purgatory. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? I mean, we we just don't yeah. know. Tolkien really didn't no. leave us anything on this, but um, it is it is interesting to to think that that Gandalf might be looking at deserving death as meaning something different than Frodo does. Yeah. But I think you're right. I mean, he's still done many awful things. And I think Gandalf oh, yeah. does, you know, the surface meaning, as you say, is still there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and speaking of that surface meaning, this may be treading into dangerous waters, but I'm not I'm not taking a stand and I'm not arguing that Tolkien's taking a stand. I do often hear this line, however, that the some that die deserve life. Uh, many that live deserve death. Can you give it to them? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. I hear that quoted as evidence that Tolkien was opposed to capital punishment. I'm not saying that he was. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm not saying either of us are or that either of us aren't. What I do want to point out is that Gandalf is not saying that such a fate is never appropriate. He's saying to Frodo two things, basically, that one individual person with incomplete knowledge really needs to think twice before making a statement like that, that you don't have yeah. the whole picture. Uh, you don't have the authority to do that uh, as, the, as an individual. Uh, this isn't a world where we are allowed to just, you know, take somebody's life because we think they deserve right. it. Right. Uh, and, you know, perhaps a king would have that right. Uh, certainly, I, I think, um, you know, we would see that with Aragorn and, and Baragon. I mean, thinking way forward into the future, uh, that that is the appropriate punishment for what he did. Uh, oh, Aragorn right, waves yeah. it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. anyway, I, I just, I don't want to go too far down that road, but I, no, I don't, but it, I do want to at least say what he's not saying here. And what he's yeah. not saying is that that's never appropriate. He's saying we shouldn't, even with that knowledge. Now, right. that's, that's A, he said to Frodo, you don't have the wisdom to do this. But then he says, even the wise cannot see all ends. Right. And I think his point there is what he's just said. Don't be eager about this. This isn't mm -hmm. something to go and, and, and rush to seek out. Yeah. But it's not being, something to revel in. It's it's not yes, something to, to, yes. to seek as a first recourse. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, not being eager about something isn't the same as strict opposition. I'm not, let's say, eager to go have a root canal, for example, but I'm not strictly <laughs> opposed. To, uh, <laughs> if it's truly necessary. Exactly. Sure. Then I'll eventually and, have to and go you do can, it. You can identify the, uh, the tooth needing uh, a root yeah, canal with certainty. Exactly. Sure. And find the appropriate authority who has the ability right. to do that right. uh, in, in a right way, then sure, yeah. I would eventually do that. But right. I'm not eager to do it. And I think that's the point. We need to not be bloodthirsty savages uh, right. seeking to deal out death everywhere we go. <laughs> you die. Now you die. Death right. for you. You know, we, we don't have that ability. And I think that's as far as the statement goes. <laughs> Today on the Prancing Pony podcast, how is capital punishment like a root canal? Root canal. <laughs> <laughs> now, only on the Prancing Pony podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yep. goodness. Man. So, uh, so. But, and I think we've got one more thing in here, which is, you know, Gandalf's uh, accurate observation mm -hmm. that Gollum is tied to the fate of the ring now. Right? Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, he spent so much time with it now. Um, and mm -hmm. we see that these, these really important artifacts have this ability to sort of pull people in. To, yeah. their, to its fate. Like it's like the Silmarils, you know, remember yeah. Thing, oh, going back to Thingolf, I want to whack the Thingol pinata a little bit more. Um, <laughs> that one he, might still have some candy in it. I'm not I'm sure. I'm sure there's quite a bit. Yeah, there's some candy in there still. Um, yeah. So so what what happened with Thingol was basically just by sending Baron on that quest to, to yeah. get a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown, 
that tied him to the fate exactly. of the Silmarils. And he then became absolutely enmeshed in it, yeah. To his destruction. And, yes. uh, and so we see that these, these artifacts have this ability. These, these magical artifacts have this ability to, to kind of rope people in. That is a recurring theme in Tolkien. That is true. And, and, and here we also get the moment where Gandalf is saying that my heart tells me he has some part to play it. This is, this is not, you know, my knowledge or my wisdom. This is that, uh, that sense that my gut, my instinct, uh, there's, there's yeah. something here that, you know, I just get the feeling that this is going to be the case. And when the wisest of the Maiar says this, you should yeah. probably listen. Yep. You know, Frodo, Frodo asks some, some questions. Um, you know, well then, okay, well, okay, fine. So you shouldn't have killed him, but why didn't he just throw the ring away? Why did you, why did you let me keep it? Why didn't you make me throw it away? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, Gandalf handles those pretty quickly, tosses those aside. I couldn't have made you do anything. You know that if you threw right. it away, Sauron would have found it pretty quickly. There's no point to that. Right. Um, we don't have very many options here. Getting rid mm-hmm. of it, just throwing it away is not an option. So mm-hmm. Gandalf had to really start thinking about what are the, you know, what are the solutions? What can we do? Uh, mm-hmm. And he's already starting to think of this stuff before he'd come back to tell Frodo or to even test it to, to confirm mm-hmm. his suspicion. And, and, uh, and I, so and he I, was worried. And I love that if he felt he, he felt he had a little time to figure all this out because he thought that mm-hmm. the ring would not have any lasting effect on Frodo. Right. Not for evil. Right. And it's because of, you know, what he, what he warned Frodo all that time ago. Right. You know, don't use it. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Yeah. Yeah. You have to say that with the camera really close on your eyes. Keep it secret. <laughs> Keep it Keep safe. It secret. Keep yeah. it safe. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but and, anyway. and there's people out there listening now going, wait, the camera, there's a camera. I didn't know that this was a video. Episode. <laughs> not on our show, not on our no. show, not just those two episodes that we did on the films. And, uh, we learned our lesson then. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Faces have, for radio. We, friends. Faces for radio. That's absolutely right, folks. That is absolutely right. So let's see, you've got a passage here and I want you to take this one on. It's a good one. All right. But why not destroy it? As you say, should have been done long ago, cried Frodo again. If you had warned me or even sent me a message, I would have done away with it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just laugh. I mean, I, I don't mean to interrupt you because you've got a great reading going, but come on, really? <laughs> like, well, he doesn't understand yet. He has no, no. idea just how powerful this thing is. And he's, I mean, Gandalf's he's trying out. desperately hard not to roll his eyes at that. <laughs> Probably, yeah. He has pity. <laughs> he does, yeah. <laughs> would you? How would you do that? Have you ever tried? No, but I suppose one could hammer it or melt it. Try, said Gandalf. Try now. Frodo drew the ring out of his pocket again and looked at it. It now appeared plain and smooth, without mark or device that he could see. The gold looked very fair and pure, and Frodo thought how rich and beautiful was its color, how perfect was its roundness. It was an admirable thing and altogether precious. When he took it out, he had intended to fling it from him into the very hottest part of the fire. But he found now that he could not do so, not without a great struggle. He weighed the ring in his hand, hesitating, and forcing himself to remember all that Gandalf had told him. And then, with an effort of will, he made a movement, as if to cast it away. But he found that he had put it back in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That, that passage. Wow. It's, there is, uh, mm. yeah. This is really the ring at work again. The, 
it really is. The sensory language of that is just seductive. The ring is yeah. really working on him. Um, Plain and smooth. The gold is fair and pure. How, how rich beautiful, and beautiful. It's color. Yeah. Roundness is perfect. Mm-hmm. It is altogether precious. Altogether precious. Oh. And admirable. I have to... I have to give a, a hat tip to uh, Arthur, one of our listeners, who um, oh, yeah. pointed out on Facebook uh, just a, a day or two ago, he, wondering, you know, we talked about Myron, the original name of Sauron, and it meaning mm-hmm. uh, the admirable one or the admired right. one. Right, right. Um, and, and he said, uh, I wonder if admirable is, uh, I wonder if admirable and precious are meant as synonyms there, you know, and if, if mm. precious is, is somehow a reference back to, to Myron. In that the ring is always called precious. I don't know that it is, but it's it's really cool that you see <laughs> That's those an two words. Thought. You're right. It is. It, you, it's really cool that you see those two words together in this in this sentence. The precious yeah. referring directly to the ring, and then it being an admirable thing. And and I don't know if Tolkien even knew at the time that you know Sauron's original yeah, name Myron thing was Myron. Yeah. Who who knows? Um, but <laughs> it's kind of cool now. It's in sure hindsight, coincidental. To see those two words it, yeah. Even yeah, if it is coincidental, it's, it's a pretty it's cool. It's really one. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So th- thanks for observing that, Arthur. That was super cool. Absolutely. But I'm just, once again, seeing the word precious. You just can't get mm-hmm. away from that when it comes to the ring. No, absolutely not. And and this is always when you when you realize that the ring's got a hold on somebody. Yeah, you know, we, absolutely. When we, saw it, when we saw it with Bilbo, we'll see it with Isildur. And here we see it with Frodo. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So he can't even, he thinks he's going to throw it into the hottest part of the fire. I want to get rid of this thing. Why didn't Bilbo lose it? Why didn't he get rid of it? Why didn't he tell me to destroy it? I'm right. going to throw it into the hottest part of the fire. It, yeah. It's in my pocket. And, How did it get in my pocket? How did that happen? I mean, right. Whoa. And the hottest part of the fire thing, I got to yeah. I got to make <laughs> a comment about this. I know uh, I didn't read the part where uh, where well, I think you're about to read the part where Gandalf talks about how his fire is yeah. not hot enough, but right. it's not. I mean, the, it's not even the, close. <laughs> and this is funny for the Game of Thrones fans out there who probably who, who will know what scene I'm going to be talking about here. Uh, the melting point of ordinary gold is almost. 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. I actually did yeah. look this up. Um, that's over 1000 degrees Celsius for our overseas listeners. Uh, and my research online tells me that a wood burning fire can get about as hot as maybe 1100 degrees Fahrenheit. But that's a pretty hot. Celsius. That's a pretty hot fire. Yeah. That is that is pretty hot, but it's it's maybe half. It's a little over yeah. half as hot as it needs to be to melt gold. So no, you cannot melt gold and even ordinary gold in an ordinary wood fire. So no, you can't. I'm not a Game of Thrones person, so I, I'm not. I'm just going to have to trust that the people who I'm are not. Will, I'm not going to describe it, but again, the Game of Thrones fans know which scene I'm. I'm thinking of. <laughs> okay, I'll trust that they do. <laughs> yep. Um, interesting. We're not going to read that little passage there, but about how Gandalf laughs grimly when he gets like, "It's like I told oh, yeah. you, I told you so, man. You can't do this." Yeah. Uh, you know, and he even tells him. He reminds him, "I couldn't make you. It would break your mind." And we've talked about that. A I love of that phrasing that too. It would break, break your mind. Your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up right after that with the fact that it can be destroyed only one way. All right. Your small fire, of course, will not melt even ordinary gold. This ring has already passed through it unscathed and even unheated. But there is no smith's forge in this shire that could change it at all. Not even the anvils and furnaces of the dwarves could do that. It has been said that dragonfire could melt and consume the rings of power, but there is not now any dragon left on earth in which the old fire is hot enough. Nor was there ever any dragon, not even Ancalagon the Black, who could have harmed the one ring, the ruling ring, for that was made by Sauron himself. There is only one way, 
to find the cracks of doom in the depths of Aradruin, the Fire Mountain, and cast the ring in there, if you really wish to destroy it, to put it beyond the grasp of the enemy forever. So we'll stop there because there's some mm-hmm. stuff to talk about there, isn't there? Yeah, I just only one way to destroy it, right? That's right. There's that's only it. one way. There's only one place that's hot enough. You, you, even the furnaces of the dwarves, which you've got to imagine would be... Extremely you know, hot. Yeah, yeah. With all these massive hot. bellows yeah. just building up the, yeah. the heat. Yeah, not even those could no. melt it. Not even dragon fire. I mean, once no. upon a time, maybe dragon fire could have done it, but there just isn't a dragon Not this left. one. You know, the, no. Yep. Shout out to Ancalagon the Black. Though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Folks who uh, remember our Silmarillion episodes may remember the mightiest of the dragon host of Morgoth. Yeah. He was in the War of Wrath. We last saw him mm-hmm. in, uh, gosh, what was that? Chapter 24. Yeah. Of the Silmarillion. War of Wrath, yeah. One of my favorite scenes. Oh, going beautiful. up against Arendel. Mm-hmm. Just kind of flying across the night sky. What's that light? I'm going to go check it out. Hmm. Maybe it'll be my friend. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> oh, I am slain. Dead. Blood, blood, blood. And death. <laughs> and death. Oh, man. Zootopia reference. I love that. That was hilarious. Uh, of course, you know, then he's going to fall from the sky and absolutely level the mountains because he's as big as a mountain, right? You've right. seen those memes. He's as big as several mountains. He's like Apparently. five million times bigger than Smaug, according to yeah, some of those memes. Yeah, he, he has his own gravity well. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Enterprise can't go his, into his warp. His wings have him. an event horizon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Yeah, we're not going to go there. Uh, the very short passage that you've got is short, but it's powerful. Let's talk about it. Okay. I do really wish to destroy it, cried Frodo. Or, well, to have it destroyed. I am not made for perilous quests. I wish I had never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? Hmm. Such questions cannot be answered, said Gandalf. You may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not possess, not for power or wisdom at any rate. But you have been chosen and you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have. Wow. Wow. I giggled at one point. I snickered because really that line, to have it destroyed, because really that's where we would all stand. Pass the buck, man. I do want to get this thing yeah. destroyed. Not, not by me. But, but not me. Yeah. I'm no. not going to go there. I'm no. not made for those kinds of things. I'm, I'm a very soft hobbit. I live a nice, comfortable life <laughs> here in Bag End. And yeah. I, I think that should be for one of those adventurer types. Yeah. Yeah. You might you might know somebody, Gandalf. Really, really passing the buck. But I mean, yeah. who can blame him? Like you said, a lot of no, us would make know. the same choice. Would, would oh, say the I, same absolutely. Thing. I would tell Gandalf, yeah, you know what? I do wish to destroy it. That is to say, I wish to pay all of my fortune, all of my gold to somebody to destroy mm-hmm. this ring. Mm-hmm. Will you do it? No, find right. somebody because I'm not. <laughs> find somebody. I don't want any part of it. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm perfectly content to just hang out here in the Shire until it gets destroyed. You want to save the world, Gandalf? You find somebody. I'll give him the ring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. Not really, of course, but there's some truth to that. And, he, and, and, no, and we know he really wouldn't be able to. But, yeah, he 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 would rather let somebody else do it. But there's can't also some humility him. there in that he just he yeah. can't really fathom why he was chosen, you know? That's the thing. I mean, it switches immediately from that little bit of humor of, or well, to have it destroyed, to immediately to, oh, wow. I mean, this is this is some significant stuff. The, mm-hmm. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? Right. Yeah. And yeah. Gandalf's I am not answer, that guy. I'm not the guy who can do this. Right. But Gandalf's answer is, I can't answer that. In fact, that right. question cannot be 
answered. There is no cannot be answered. Not I. Don't, yeah. Not I can't answer that. Such yeah. questions cannot be cannot answered. be answered. But you but have. But he been does chosen. tell him what. Yeah, that's right. And he does tell him what he wasn't chosen for. Mm. He wasn't chosen because he was tall or strong or, or you know the 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 best swordsman or you know, the best hunter or anything like that. It wasn't for power or wisdom or any merit that others don't have. Mm-hmm. Wow. You're as ordinary as they come, but you have been chosen. That's amazing. Even though there's no rational reason why it was you, it is you. Yeah. And now that we know that, you've, you've got to own up. You've got to work with what you have. You've got to work with, exactly, work with what yeah. you have. Yeah. This is a real Beowulf moment, isn't it? You, boy, you're right. It really is. I mean, he really, he has to face a very, very, very difficult situation with, with very little hope of success, you know? And I, I say Beowulf, but what I really mean is the monsters and the critics. I mean, this is- Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I know Because Beowulf yeah. is the hero. Beowulf is the guy who goes, oh, that's fine. I can go find the Well, right. I know what you're saying. I'll well, slay yeah, a dragon while I'm at it. Right. But, you know, this is- that circle this of light. I, this idea of the circle of light, you know, the, the 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 circle of light surrounded by darkness, and all we can do is make a choice to face it, even if yeah. we even if we have very little hope of surviving, right? Or even if we feel like we're totally, you know, completely mm-hmm. unequipped, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how he feels, and and I think, you know, it also reminds me of just the the idea of ennoblement, you know, that that theme that mm. I love so much. And yes, we yes. sometimes talk about it as you know ennoblement through bloodlines, but there's also ennoblement through actions. And we see that, we see that so much with the Hobbit, you know, the Hobbits, I should say. Yeah. We see that so much with all of them. The, the idea that they all um, become ennobled through their actions. You're uh, right. Each of the four. Yeah. The ennoblement of the ignoble, I think Tolkien described it as. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's such a key concept, such a key theme to this book. Yeah, it really is. My goodness. This is a very, this is a passage that's worth our listeners taking some time to really think through. Yeah, definitely. Even for the, even in their own lives, you know, it's in our lives when we're faced with a set of circumstances that we have to face, whatever Mm -hmm. they are, you know, illness or some struggle that is beyond our ability to cope. Uh, You know, why am I, why am I having to go through this? Why was, why was I chosen to endure this? Well, you've been chosen and you've got to use the Mm -hmm. strength and heart and wits that you have. Yep. You know, it's, it's an encouragement. It's good wisdom. It's, it's just it good is. wisdom for anybody to it have. It really yeah. is. And speaking of good wisdom, Gandalf knows better than to take the ring because Frodo offers that to him and <laughs> read his response. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, it is. No, cried Gandalf, springing to his feet. With that power, I should have power too great and terrible. And over me, the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. His eyes flashed and his face was lit as by a fire within. Do not tempt me, for I do not wish to become like the Dark Lord himself. Yet the way of the ring to my heart is by pity, pity for weakness, and the desire of strength to do good. Do not tempt me. I dare not take it, not even to keep it safe, unused. The wish to wield it would be too great for my strength. I shall have such need of it. Great perils lie before me. He went to the window and drew aside the curtains and the shutters. Sunlight streamed back again into the room. Sam passed along the path outside, whistling. And now, said the wizard, turning back to Frodo, the decision lies with you, but I will always help you. He laid his hand on Frodo's shoulder. I will help you bear this burden as long as it is yours to bear. But we must do something soon. The enemy is moving. 
Oh, what a powerful man. moment of temptation for Gandalf. Isn't it? And you can just see him struggling with that. Yeah. Realizing that he's going to have need of, mm -hmm. of such need strength. Of his strength. He knows yeah. the perils that are ahead of him. Yeah. And he knows that, you know, with, despite all of his good intentions, the ring would be horrible if he got oh, the ring. It would just, it would just absolutely be absolutely horrible. It would be uh, unimaginably bad. In fact, I mean, we do get this question sometimes, you know, well, Gandalf mm -hmm. was yeah. get, I, I, not we at the podcast, but we'll see it on Facebook and things like right, that. You right. know, well, Gandalf was a Maya. Could he have, you know, wielded the ring and could he have used it, you know, for good or something like that? Sure. Um, Tolkien actually addressed this in one of his letters, didn't he? It was, yeah, he uh, did. It was letter number 246, which was actually yeah. a, a series of drafts. Uh, so Tolkien wrote that Gandalf as ringlord would have been far worse than Sauron. He would have remained righteous, but self-righteous. He would have continued to rule and order things for good. And he's putting quotes around good. Yeah, those are definitely air quotes. <laughs> yes, those as a definite air quotes moment. And the benefit of his subjects according to his wisdom, which was and would have remained great. Now, that's where the draft ends of that letter. But then in the margins, Carpenter, who, of course, edited those letters together into that volume, he notes that Tolkien actually added in the margins, thus, while Sauron multiplied, and, and there's an illegible word here, unfortunately, <laughs> Carpenter couldn't figure out the word, uh, right. thus, while Sauron multiplied something evil, he left good clearly distinguishable from it. Gandalf would have made good detestable and seem evil. Mm. Wow. And that's really, really a powerful statement right there. That is a powerful statement that he would have been worse than Sauron because, because he, he would have, have been doing good. this under the guise of good. He would have that's been doing right. this under the under If you're the, doing you know, evil, sort of at least good. at least call it evil, right? But don't yeah. pretend it's good. And and Gandalf would have been making good indistinguishable from evil. That would have been mm -hmm. actually worse. Yeah. But now that the choice uh, you know, belongs to Frodo. Gandalf can't do it. It's it's gonna be up to Frodo to decide what to do mm -hmm. and Gandalf will help him. You know, I'll, I'll be by your side, but we yeah. got to do something soon. Don't we? Yeah. And uh, yeah, they yeah. do. Gandalf is patient, but he knows they don't have much time. No, they don't have much time. So Frodo, my goodness, what he's, this, I mean, I got to say, this is an amazing passage coming up. Yeah. I, before I get to my next passage, I love this scene of where Frodo just, Frodo just looks at the fire. And he, you know, he's, he gazes fixedly at the red embers on the hearth until they filled all his vision. Wow. Um, and he's thinking of the cracks of doom and he's thinking yeah. of, 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 of the terror of the fire, the terror of, yeah. of Oradruin. And I don't know, it's just, a, it's a very, a very interesting moment because everything just stops and he just stares into the mm. fire while he thinks. And, and Tolkien manages to get so much, um, Boy, doesn't so he? much power out of that passage. You know, you really do feel everything stop. Because Frodo is the, the one, like you said, Frodo is the one who has to choose this now. So, yeah. you know, it, he realizes what, what an important decision this is. Yeah, there's a huge burden and he's really trying to, to process this. But he's, mm -hmm. he, he knows at least the minimum that he has to do. He knows that he has to keep it. He can't get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, he can't give it to somebody else. He has to guard it. Right. And he has to take that risk knowing that it may, it may do to him what it did to, to Bilbo in the sense that it may mm -hmm. begin to make him feel stretched and thin. Right. Well, I think that takes me up to the next passage uh, it that does. I'm going to read. All right. It does. And this is a, a beautiful passage. It really is. Uh, yeah. I think it tells us a lot about Frodo's love for the Shire despite, well, 
I, I don't want to get ahead yeah. of myself. I'm going to let you read. It's a wonderful <laughs> I do, passage, I do, though. I do love this. Yeah. But in the meanwhile, it seems that I am a danger, a danger to all that live near me. I cannot keep the ring and stay here. I ought to leave Bag End, leave the Shire, leave everything and go away. He sighed. I should like to save the Shire if I could, though there have been times when I thought the inhabitants too stupid and dull for words mm. and have felt that an earthquake or an invasion of dragons might be good for them. But I don't feel like that now. I feel that as long as the Shire lies behind, safe and comfortable, I shall find wandering more bearable. I shall know that somewhere there is a firm foothold, even if my feet cannot stand there again. Of course, I have sometimes thought of going away, but I imagine that is a kind of holiday, a series of adventures like Bilbo's or better, ending in peace. But this would mean exile, a flight from danger into danger, drawing it after me. And I suppose I must go alone, if I am to do that and save the Shire. But I feel very small, and very uprooted, and, well, desperate. The enemy is so strong and terrible. Man, my heart just aches for him right here. He's mm, I know. He's realized what he has to do. He's thought it through. Okay, first I have to keep it. I have to guard it. But I realize there's more than that because I'm a danger. Being yeah. here, leaving this thing is here, dangerous for everybody in the Shire. Yeah. Is gonna endanger the entire Shire. And I love the way he thinks of the Shire. Yeah. His appreciation of it is home, despite the as he says, the, the inhabitants who are sometimes too stupid and it's, dull for it's words. A very, it's a very complex love for home, isn't it? Isn't I mean, it? He, it is. He knows it's imperfect. He knows the people are simple. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, too dull and, for words. Yeah. Too dull. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's thought in the past that, you know, maybe something horrible would do them some good just to kind of shake them out of their, you know, their pettiness. Yeah. yeah. I think we probably, probably a lot of people can can say that about, you know, their their home. They probably have mm -hmm. similar feelings about places they've been, places they came from, but it's still home. Yeah. And, and, and now I, I love this idea that it's sort of going to become his tether as he's traveling. Yes. Now he feels that as, as long as it's safe, he'll be okay. Even if he can never return to the Shire. I, I love that. You, yeah, you can feel his love evolving as he's, as he's kind of talking about this. Exactly. As he's talking it out, you start to sense not only does he love the Shire, he he values it in a way that will enable him to go forward on this. Mm -hmm. He will use it as, like you said, a tether. It'll it'll make him able to endure as long as he can think of the Shire being safe. Yeah. Its existence is more important to him than his presence in it. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. And that's a really big step for him. Mm -hmm. It's a sacrifice. I mean, that this is this yeah. is already a sacrifice that he's prepared mm. to make. Yes, to sacrifice ever being able to go back home to the Shire, as long as he knows that it can be safe through yeah. through something he does, even if it's something as simple as just leaving and taking the ring away. And we even get that foreboding sense of the fact that he may never be able to come back. We know, of course, mm -hmm. that he does physically come back, but he doesn't really mm -hmm. ever come back in that in no. that way. Um, no, he never does. At the risk of sounding like a parody of myself, it kind of reminds me of Arendelle. You know, the way that he yeah, um, I, I hear you. The way that he uh, he left Middle Earth. He yeah. he sacrificed Middle Earth. He could never return to Middle Earth. No, he had to fly around in Vingalot. Right, 
I think there are actually a lot of parallels between Frodo and Arendel, which you you can bet that I will be bringing well, up. Yeah, we I'm sure you will. I'm sure you but, will. Um, but yeah, there's there's a similar there's a similar sacrifice there. This idea that you know you're going to go on this quest and you're going to save the Shire, uh, the and, you and you're not going to be able to return there at all. Yeah, mm. and and I don't mean physically. He does physically return to the Shire, but he can't stay there. I think folks know what I meant. Yeah, no, I I'd said that earlier. So yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And this this phrase about exile, a flight from danger into danger, drawing it after me, this is, he recognizes how radically different this quest is going to be than Bilbo's adventure. This isn't mm. to go on some jaunty little party to try to get rich. This is to try to save the world in a literal sense at the, probably at the very cost of my own life. Yeah. And, and he, he's willing to do that. Yeah. Uh, but boy, the, the, the emotions that well up in his heart, this desire to even find Bilbo, and he feels almost like he should just run out the door right there. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and pick up right after that. Uh, this is Gandalf's wonderful reaction to Frodo's decision. It's just it's beautiful. My dear Frodo, exclaimed Gandalf, hobbits really are amazing creatures, as I've said before. You can learn all that there is to know about their ways in a month. And yet after a hundred years, they can still surprise you at a pinch. I hardly expected to get such an answer, not even from you. But Bilbo made no mistake in choosing his heir, though he little thought how important it would prove. I am afraid you are right. The ring will not be able to stay hidden in the Shire much longer. And for your own sake, as well as for others, you will have to go. And leave the name of Baggins behind you. That name will not be safe to have outside the Shire, or in the wild. I will give you a traveling name now. When you go, go as Mr. Underhill. But I don't think you need go alone. Not if you know of anyone you can trust, and who would be willing to go by your side, and that you would be willing to take into unknown perils. But if you look for a companion, be careful in choosing, and be careful of what you say, even to your closest friends. The enemy has many spies and many ways of hearing. I love this. I, I, I love so cool. his charming reaction to this. The fact that, yeah. of course, he's studied the hobbits more than, more than, anybody, than anybody else. Yeah. He's the only one who goes in for hobbit lore, an obscure branch. <laughs> right, right. They are amazing. You can learn everything you need to know about them. They're so simple. You can learn everything you need in a month. And yet after a hundred years. there's always one of them who's going to do something that's going to surprise you. Mm-hmm. Amazing. There's so much potential there. Yeah, there's there really so much is. potential in hobbits, yeah. There really is. I don't know what answer he expected to get. He says, I hardly expected to get such an answer. I don't know what he expected. This is the logical conclusion, um, but it's a terrible conclusion, right? It's it's yeah. it's logical, yeah. but it's not what most of us would want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Frodo gets there on his own, really. Yeah. You know, Gan- and relatively like quickly, is, too. Yeah. It's not like Gandalf is sitting here, you know, convincing him of this. He's just giving him the information. And, right. And Frodo realizes what he needs to do. And that's that's so yeah, cool. That is. Yeah, Gandalf confirms exactly what he said, which is that you can't stay in the Shire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to leave. Take the ring with you. You have to leave the name of Baggins behind. Uh, but you don't have to go alone. I love that. Yeah. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that shortly. Uh, I do want to mention, though, of course, that's the one of the first appearances, really, of the importance of fellowship, which is a theme we're going to see throughout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And And this is the beginning of that. This is the reminder that as you face these things, you you don't have to face them alone. And really, you ought not to, but you do have to choose yeah. those companions Just wisely. Just choose them very carefully. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you've got a, a wonderful little passage here, don't you? Yes, one of my favorites. I love this one. Yeah, me too. Suddenly, he stopped as if listening. Frodo became aware that all was very quiet, inside and outside. Gandalf crept to one side of the window. Then with a dart, he sprang to the sill and thrust a long arm out and downwards. There was a squawk, and up came Sam Gamgee's <laughs> curly head, hauled by one ear. <laughs> well, well, bless my beard, said Gandalf. Sam Gamgee, is it? Now what may you be doing? Lord bless you, Mr. Gandalf, sir, said Sam. Nothing. Leastways, I was just trimming the grass border under the window, if you follow me. He picked up his shears and exhibited them as evidence. I don't, said Gandalf grimly. It is some time since I last heard the sound of your shears. How long have you been eavesdropping? Eavesdropping, sir? I don't follow you, begging your pardon. There ain't no eaves at Bag End, and that's a fact. Don't be a fool. <laughs> what have you heard, and why did you listen? Gandalf's eyes flashed, and his brows stuck out like bristles. Those would be the brows that extend past the brim of his hat. Those really, <laughs> really long brows that you can only you can only cultivate if you're a wizard. Yeah. Yeah, and, and use a lot of moose. Um, <laughs> first of all, ow, ow, lifting me up by my ear? Good golly, that's going to hurt. Yeah, yeah, well, that's why he squawks. I mean, yeah, you're probably actually going to rip my ear right off my head, actually. <laughs> it takes a lot to make a hobbit squawk. Now you yeah. know exactly what will do it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I love Sam's attempt to, to play the innocent guy, like, it's like, I, hey, I was just shears. the grass. I've got shears. See my shears? See my shears? See yeah. my shears? There's grass on them. <laughs> oh, yeah. goodness. Be like, does he yeah. really? Come on. You're not going to get past Gandalf. No. 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 Of course, Gandalf's going to see it through that. <laughs> and, and, though we're not going to read it, we get the fact that he um, he doesn't want to be turned into anything unnatural. Uh, he you know, didn't mean to do anything wrong. Uh, it's yeah. wonderful stuff. So I do, I've got a little bit of word nerdery on eavesdropping. Because oh, okay. I just, I well, love this moment. Let's do that. I will. I love this moment where <laughs> Sam, <laughs> I love this moment where, you know, Sam just kind of plays, kind of plays dumb a little bit. Oh, there ain't no eaves at Bag End. Uh, it is interesting <laughs> that um, the, the earliest meaning of eavesdrop is as a noun in Old English. And it was something like eaves Uh And it was, it was a noun for the dripping of water from the eaves of the roof. It's the, the part of the roof that, well, I grew up calling an overhang. I don't know what you grew up, what you called it in California, but. Eaves. Um, really? You called it eaves? We call it no, an overhang. No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's I the lived part in of the roof apartment. That hang... We didn't, we didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the part of the roof that hangs over the wall. I, we yeah, called it an yeah, overhang yeah. In, in the New Orleans area. But, um, but yeah, so this is the eaves and basically the, the dripping of water from the eaves was the earliest meaning of eavesdrop. As time went on, it became the, a, a word for the area close to the wall of the house, the area where water would drip down on. Mm, and okay. so that's where the, the idea of eavesdropping became a thing in English because it can't, it comes from the idea of a person standing in that area just under the eaves, just within the eavesdrop, listening okay. to conversations inside. And then as a back formation from that, which was only around 1600, I think that's when we first got the verb to eavesdrop. Oh, so okay. I don't know. I just, I, for some reason, I love the fact that Tolkien has Sam take this word back to the original, yeah. you know, the etymology that actually referring to the fact that there's no eaves <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's cool. And I guess probably because I, I still think of the movie where Sam says, oh, you know, yeah, I ain't yeah. been dropping no eaves. And um, 
It was never about actually dropping eaves. It was about yeah, you could where... drop an eave, but yeah. Right, exactly. So I don't know. It's just a funny little bit from from Sam, a funny little etymological yeah. humor from Sam. I love that. Yeah, you don't yeah. expect etymological humor from Sam. Not from Sam. <laughs> no. Well, we also have a, a, an interesting little thing here, uh, this sort of anachronistic use of some terms like, well, well, bless my beard, and, uh, and, and Sam saying, Lord bless you and Lord bless me. Um, I have to mm, say it's probably yeah. a little less problematic in terms of anachronisms than the express train issue that we had last chapter. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only a little, but you know, this is to me. I'm, I'm seeing this more like we use uh, like "bless you" when somebody sneezes, or uh, or or maybe even using the word "goodbye," which actually comes yeah. from "God be with you." That's <laughs> I right. Mean, yeah, it does. There's some very interesting word nerdery for you, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it is. It, it, it yeah, our language is full of these terms that have you know become sort of secular over time. Yeah, and exactly. And, yeah. and I guess that you know maybe that is what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, it could be uh, a a translator's decision. Remember, this is you know these are Frodo's memoirs. Uh, it could be a mistake. You know, it could be that uh, uh, that's not what Sam actually said, or that's not what hmm. Gandalf actually said, but. That seems unlikely. It, it, it just seems like it's an archaic phrase, maybe used not necessarily with the knowledge of its etymology by its current speakers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, a, like goodbye. Yeah, was exactly, a good exactly. Like goodbye. I think that's a perfect example of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's interesting. I, that's a good take on it. I, I, I'm thinking now of the, uh, the time a few episodes ago. Gosh, I don't even remember how long ago it was, but we looked into <laughs> the use of the word heaven. Which is oh, that used may, that may have been um, a while, yeah. Yeah, I think it probably it might have even been back in the Silmarillion, wasn't it? I don't I'm know. sure it was. But um, Tolkien uses this word um, pretty much exclusively. The word heaven pretty much exclusively refers to the sky in Tolkien's work, except when hobbits say "good heavens," which they do a lot. Mm, you're right. So yeah, so I've wondered since then whether "good heavens" might be a, like a translator's decision to to render some some Westron phrase that it originally referred to either Manway or Varda or something like that, and maybe mm-hmm. "Lord mm-hmm. bless" might be a similar, like you said, translator's yeah. decision. Yeah, I mean, it, it, even if it were to be etymologically. Historically, going back to you know a reference to one of the Valar or even to Iluvatar himself, you've got to remember that the language the hobbits are speaking, Westron, would have been taught them by the men. So the yep. men might have had a phrase like you know "Lord bless," except that it wouldn't have been "Lord bless." It would have been something about Eru, you know, right? Yeah, uh, that, that somehow this got translated as "Lord bless" uh, in. You know, in, in our version, so to speak, as part of the right. uh, part of the frame yeah. narrative, but yeah, to yeah. to render it in in a phrase that we can understand exactly. Yeah, and again, as a phrase that is really a secular phrase, it's not mm-hmm. uh, it's not actually you know calling for the blessings of right <laughs> of the one right. god exactly. of right. of exactly. Luvatar here. So anyway, right, uh, just an interesting little thing, and of course, we're going to always point out any sort of anachronisms or or things like that as we see them because they're fun. Yeah, and before we get to the last bit of the the reading for the day, uh, and for the chapter for that matter, I wanted to mention that uh, you know Sam talked about uh, the enemy and rings and Bilbo and dragons in the mountain. He loves those tales and he believes them. This is his firm conviction of the stories that are related to fairy, mm. elves and dragons. Uh, yeah, and I just think that's that speaks so well of Sam in terms of his belief in the tales of fairy. Uh, and I, yeah, I think, I think we're going to see yeah. more of that. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, we we talked, I think we have talked a little bit about the idea of Frodo as sort of an elf friend. Sam mm-hmm. isn't quite at that level yet, but he loves the stories no. already. And that's kind of like the, that's a start. 
you know. And he sees them as real. He doesn't just see he them sees as them stories. as real, right? He believes them. He doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that kind of almost brings me back to Mythopoeia and uh, C.S. Lewis, and you know, myths are lies, breathe, though breathe through silver, mm-hmm. and how it'd be easy for somebody with you know a little more skepticism, like say Ted Sandyman, uh, to right. not believe these tales. But Sam does. Sam yeah. sees that there's truth in these in these myths. So I just thought that yeah. was worth uh, pointing out. Cool. So I'm going to go ahead and take us to the end of the chapter today. All right. Uh, and this is Gandalf you know, talking to Sam. So you heard that Mr. Frodo is going away? I did, sir. And that's why I choked, which you heard seemingly. I tried not to, sir, but it burst out of me I was so upset. It can't be helped, Sam, said Frodo sadly. He had suddenly realized that flying from the Shire... Uh, side note, flying means to flee, to run away, to go. It does not mean to sprout wings like something other than a Balrog and leave the Shire. I just want to make sure because we talk about flying. He wasn't He sometimes. wasn't going to the airport? I mean, he wasn't... No, like, he wasn't going to the airport Chartering either. a jet to no. get out of the Shire? Though one could one could imagine that flying on the back of an eagle would be would be handy here. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> no, true. No, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. All right. Anyway... <clears throat> He had suddenly realized that flying from the Shire would mean more painful partings than merely saying farewell to the familiar comforts of Bag End. I shall have to go, but, and here he looked hard at Sam, if you really care about me, you will keep that dead secret, see? If you don't, if you even breathe a word of what you've heard here, then I hope Gandalf will turn you into a spotted toad and fill the garden full of grass snakes. Sam fell on his knees, trembling. Get up, Sam, said Gandalf. I have thought of something better than that. Something to shut your mouth and punish you properly for listening. You shall go away with Mr. Frodo. Me, sir, cried Sam, springing up like a dog invited for a walk. Me go and see elves and all. Hooray, he shouted, and then burst into tears. I love that. <laughs> That's so beautiful. It is. It's such a great moment. It's, uh, it's I mean, there's cute. not a lot to it's say. Adorable. It's just no. beautiful. You know, this yeah. is... I mean, maybe there's a little bit about, you know, Frodo realizing now just what it's going to cost him when he leaves and how difficult that's yeah. going to be. More painful partings than just yeah. leaving his home. It's the people he's going to miss, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. his friends. I mean, Sam and Mary and Pippin and all these others that he's, well, he's going to end up going with them, but he mm-hmm. doesn't know that at this point. Right. Uh, you know, he's going to miss He's already them. realizing the value of their fellowship. Yeah. And as yeah. you said. And mourning you know, he, that he, loss. He, Absolutely. He, mourning that loss. And as you say, he's. He's going to be fortunate enough that that some of them are going to come with him. That's right. And then Gandalf, uh, exercising a little bit of his wisdom, recognizing that, remembering, I should say, the truth of what he told Frodo, that, hey, you don't need to go alone. And if you know anyone you can trust, you should take him with you. Hey, perfect opportunity right here. uh, Right. Decides to send Sam. Here's a guy who now knows everything that we've been talking about. Right. (laughs) And we need to bring him with us because otherwise he'll talk to somebody else. Right. (laughs) No, it's it's Gandalf recognizing the importance of fellowship. Yeah. And and pairing them. And and probably knowing that Sam can be trusted, knowing that Sam is going to be loyal to Frodo. Sam will be loyal. You might not be able to trust him to be wise. You might not be able to trust him to Mm -hmm. keep his mouth shut, but you can trust him to keep the important secrets, to not Mm -hmm. uh, to not do anything to intentionally harm Frodo. I think I think Gandalf knows that Sam's never going to intentionally hurt Frodo. Absolutely. And, you know, Sam, Sam has wisdom in unexpected places. And I think maybe Gandalf knows some of that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the down to earth hobbity nature. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, of course, the tail end, we get 
Sam's lovely reaction, me going see elves <laughs> and all, and then bursting into tears. I love it. I know. That's, that's I love cute. it. That's awesome. He's so thrilled. So happy. Even though he has absolutely no he, idea. He has no idea what, what he's, he's getting into. For. Yeah, right. Seriously. Exactly. I feel badly for him, but we'll we'll address that later, I think. I think he'll come out all right in the end. I think he will. Well, that wraps it up for the last part of The Shadow of the Past. Next week, be sure to... Uh, <laughs> Come and knock on our door as we begin. Three's oh, company. No. <laughs> no, no jokes about Jack Tripper, please. And we promise we won't. No. Um, yeah. But but before oh, we get before we get to the end of this episode. Where the pawns are that, hers and hers no, and his three's no, company no, no. too. <laughs> please. Make no, it I will stop. stop kill, now. We're done. We're done. Kill it with fire. Kill it with um, fire. Before we get to anything else, we want to take a minute to remind you about the fellowship of the podcast. That's yeah. our family of supporters over at Patreon. We're getting closer to our next goal, which is setting up a Discord server that's going to give our patrons a chance to listen in live during one of these recordings. I don't know why you would want to do let's that. Hope, let's hope it's not this one. Seriously. With uh, plenty <laughs> of opportunity to laugh at our slip ups and bad jokes. And folks, if you think we had some bad ones in the episode, just yeah. imagine what you missed. That ended yeah. up on the cutting room floor. And be grateful. But as you're doing that, you, you know, as our patrons are doing that, they'll be getting a sneak peek in an upcoming episode. That's true. Hey, you know what? Maybe we should set up as a, a future Patreon goal. Like at, at 5000 a month, Alan will stop singing stupid songs. <laughs> <laughs> People will contribute what like would crazy. You do? What would no, we I do don't. to fill, uh, you know, an hour and a half plus in one of these episodes? <laughs> Our patrons will certainly enjoy that, so be sure to visit patreon.com slash prancingponypod. Now, when you join at the Gift of Gondor level or higher, you're going to get access to exclusive content like a full-length bonus episode every quarter. We talked about that earlier, uh, as well as short postscripts to each chapter episode. In fact, all three Prancing Pony podcast Patreon postscripts for this chapter are releasing today. Oh, that's right. They are. Yeah. And there's another way that you can help us too. Check out the official library pages at our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, where we've put together a set of links for our listeners to all the Tolkien books that we've ever mentioned on the show. You can also give us a hand by posting a review on iTunes. Now, I know we've told you this before, but it really is true. This yep. increases our visibility. That means more new listeners, more great questions for Barlaman, more discussion on social media, and a more vibrant Tolkien community. That's right. We're not just doing that to stroke our egos. No, no, we are not. No, not at all. Uh, it is truly just to uh, to hopefully get our ourselves uh, a little bit more visibility in the rankings, so that more people listen to us. And like Sean said, that gives us more questions, more good discussion, and a more vibrant community. So we are asking you to do that. But I will say, we do read every single oh, one do. of them. We do, and in and we take the good feedback with the bad. Yeah, including the dad jokes, which we are trying to dial back. Yes, but. we are. <laughs> not trying that hard this episode. Not today. Not we'll, today. We'll folks. work Sorry. on it, folks. We'll continue. We to work will. On it. Yeah, it's on our short list. Uh, finally, we would really appreciate you sharing us on social media too: Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever you hang out and might find Tolkien fans. Please tell them about our show. Before we move on to Bartleman's bag, we want to let you know that, well, pretty soon, as far as podcast time is concerned, we will be coming up on our 111st episode, and we plan on celebrating with an episode of special magnificence. And while we'd love to invite each and every one of you giving presents to all and sundry, we don't have a draft of cooks ready to go. So no, instead, we, we came up with a different way for you to participate in this little celebration. In fact, we literally can't do it without you. What we want to do is replay our top moments from the first hundred or so episodes, along with a little director's commentary, if you will. But as you might imagine, we don't know exactly what those top moments are. And that's where you come in. 
That's right. We want you to recall your favorite Prancing Pony podcast moments and then send us an email that includes the following, the episode number, the start and the end time of the segment you'd like us to replay, and what you enjoyed about it, whether it's a serious moment of discussion or uh, a chat with a guest or just one of those awful jokes. It's all fair play for the Uh 11th episode. Oh, man. So if you wanted the moment that we first mocked the Vanyard with OMG Valar, OMG Manwe, you would look up episode 13 right around the hour 41 mark. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you looked that up. I did. I only looked up a couple of those because as we close in on 200 hours of content, we just can't make these selections ourselves. We don't have time to listen to everything. So we are going to crowdsource this party. And you'll get a shout out if your segment is selected. So get listening. Start sending us those timestamps. You've got five weeks until December 9th to get your selections in. That will give us time to curate the selections, prepare our commentary, and then fit the content into an episode-length recording before it airs early in the new year. Now, please don't delay, folks. This party of special magnificence will only work with your help. Otherwise, it's going to snow food and rain drink. So with that, it's time to see what old Barnumman has in the mailbag for us. Sean? Well, thank you very much, sir. So first up, we've got a question from Matthew R., who asks a general and obvious question, that's his own words, about (laughs) something we all probably take for granted. Matthew said, what is the ring? Aside from the answer of the biggest MacGuffin in fantasy literature and literature (laughs) in general, (laughs) no one is able to answer with much confidence. Within the context of the story, how does it empower Sauron, in other words, magic, beyond what he was created as? Expanding that to all the rings, where does their magic come from and how? And outside the story, what is the ring meant to be? We know that it, like the whole story, is not an allegory for the nuclear bomb or World War II or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But even if you want a very prosaic answer, like the ring is evil, then you get the question, well, why is evil put in the form of a ring? And this is what makes the ring so powerful to readers, but it doesn't mean it should be left unexplored. So I agree. Let's explore it. Alan, you go first. Oh, thanks a lot. (laughs) Uh, Evil has been put in the form of a ring because a necklace was a little too unattractive. Your turn. No, I'm just kidding. It's just such a, um, just such a beautiful ring. It is. It is. Well, we know that. It's uh, it's it's altogether mm-hmm. precious. Um, mm-hmm. I do think we need to answer the last question first. Uh, we have said it a hundred times on the show, as Matthew knows, nothing in the story is allegorical. And so it's definitely nothing as prosaic as the ring is a symbol for the atomic bomb. Right. But just because there's no allegory doesn't mean the ring doesn't mean something. It doesn't have symbolism. And Tolkien gave us a couple of very good explanations of what he thinks the ring means outside of the story in a couple of his letters. Now, the first is, drumroll please, letter number 131 (laughs) to Milton Waldman. (laughs) Say it with me now, everyone. Big surprise. We could like sing a chorus of letter number 131 (laughs) to Milton Waldman, uh, in which Tolkien says that, quote, the primary symbolism of the ring is the will to mere power, seeking to make itself objective by physical force and mechanism and so also inevitably by lies, end quote. So the ring is evil is a true statement, Matthew, but it is a specific kind of evil. Yeah, I I would say it's the will to power, to to domination made physical. But then that brings us back to the question of why. Why is this will to power placed in the form of a ring? Mm -hmm. And I think that is best answered by Tolkien in letter number 211 to Rona Bear. You cannot press the one ring too hard, for it is, of course, a mythical feature even though the world of the tales is conceived in more or less historical terms. Well, of course, the professor starts this explanation off with a disclaimer, right? (laughs) That's typical. He He goes on to say, The Ring of Sauron is only one of the various mythical treatments of the placing of one's life or power in some external object, which is thus exposed to capture or destruction 
with disastrous results to oneself. If I were to philosophize this myth, or at least the Ring of Sauron, I should say it was a mythical way of representing the truth that potency, or perhaps rather potentiality, if it is to be exercised and produce results, has to be externalized, and so, as it were, passes, to a greater or less degree, out of one's direct control. Mm. A man who wishes to exert power must have subjects who are not himself, but he then depends on them. Mm. So putting that in my own words, I'd say that outside the story, the, the ring is a symbol of power and the will to dominate, and the reason that it's placed into the form of a ring is to show that the exertion of power automatically requires one to give up some control over that power. Mm. Well, you know, that explains Tolkien's example. If a man has some power that he wishes to exert, he must have subjects, people, to mm -hmm. do his bidding. But then he depends on them, and this dependency is exactly what we see in Sauron, who is very weak at the start of the story. Yeah, I mean, I'd even say that he's a slave to the One Ring just as much as Gollum is. I mean, I think having created it and having placed mm. his power into it, externalizing his power so that he can exert it, he becomes mm. more or less helpless without the ring. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, maybe not slave to the ring quite as Gollum, in the same way as Gollum. Not in the but same way, that's true. To the Quantitatively, yes. yes maybe yes. qualitatively, no. But yeah, you're I right. Agree. His dependency, yeah, right. yep. his power is entirely wrapped up in the ring. You're right. Yeah. Um, as for the first part of the question, though, I suppose we've answered a little bit by saying that the ring externalizes Sauron's power so that he can use it. But beyond that, how did the one ring make Sauron powerful within the story? Well, there's a bit more on this in Morgoth's ring. We've talked about the title of that book before. Uh, the fact is that Tolkien said the whole of Middle-earth was Morgoth's ring. By that, he means that Morgoth put his evil will into the matter of Arda itself disseminating his power. Now, that's Tolkien's word, and it's important, so just remember that, disseminating his power so that all matter in Middle-earth had a, a Melkor ingredient that made it corrupted. Sauron, on the other hand, did not disseminate his power, but concentrated it. Now, that's, again, that's Tolkien's word, and that's important right. because of that, that contrast, dissemination and concentration. Mm -hmm. By concentrating his power, Sauron was able to wield it, to weaponize his power. But Placing it in a physical object like that made him much more vulnerable to losing that object. And that's an excellent point to make because I think that answers Matthew's other question about the source of that power. The source of the power of all the rings was the innate mm -hmm. power of their makers. Right. You know, we've talked before about the, the two different kinds of magic Tolkien describes, and this is in letter 155, but Magia and Goetia. Yeah. Um, and the distinction between those two is, is very subtle and it's not really important for this conversation. But the important thing to keep in mind is that both of these two types of magic are both inherent powers that are natural to elves and to Maiar, but, but not to men. It, it's right. not something that men can learn by studying. It's not that kind of magic. No. Innate powers that are not innately good or bad. It's the motives that make them bad. That's right. Um, so what we see is, you know, Sauron and the elves of Eregion both put some of their power into rings so they could externalize that power. But if you use your, your, if your motive to do that is to dominate as Sauron's mm -hmm. was, well, that's bad. But if right. you use it to preserve as the three rings of the elves, well, that's a little better. Yeah. Well, that's probably the best we can do with that question for now, but we will continue to discuss these themes as we go through the story. Uh, but it also is a good enough segue into our next question, which comes to us from Kieran in Liverpool. He says, Sauron is one of the Maiar. He's a really powerful and dreadful being that brings terror to Middle-earth. So, two questions. Why was he destroyed so easily by Isildur? And perhaps destroyed is the wrong word. That's actually his own phrase, and he's right to, mm -hmm. to question that. But 
Um, he then asks, and why did him losing the ring have the effects it did? If he was so powerful before the ring, then surely when he had it cut off, he would still have that same amount of power and would have just slain Isildur and taken the ring back. Mm. Okay. Well, I think we sort of, uh, yeah, definitely good questions. And I think we've sort of answered the second part of that already because yeah. Yeah. by placing some of his innate power into the ring, Sauron weakened himself. Remember that the Maiar and the Valar are finite beings. They have a That's finite right. amount of power. And just like Morgoth did before him, placing his power into Arda, Sauron placing some of his power into the ring weakened him so much that, you know, he, he couldn't, yeah, he couldn't without fight the back. ring. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Without the ring, he couldn't fight back against Isildur. Um, mm -hmm. Gandalf told us in this chapter, uh, I think it was the, the last episode, that Sauron's mm -hmm. spirit fled after Isildur cut the ring from his finger. Yeah, that's right. Remember, Sauron had already died once, and I'm making air quotes when I say died. He'd already died once in the fall of Numenor. That's his right. His defeat by, at the last alliance was the second time that he had been, you know, quote unquote, destroyed. And so, you know, that and that weakens him too every time, he, every time it happens. Mm -hmm. I also want to bring in a quote from Tolkien's Osanwe Kenta here. That's that essay on telepathy that's published in uh, Vinyar Tanguar, the linguistic journal. Yeah. I mentioned it just a few episodes ago, episode yeah, 98. Yeah, real recent. Because okay. In addition to telepathy, it has some interesting stuff about Ainur and their physical forms. And here's a passage that described Morgoth, but I want folks to listen closely because it applies to Sauron as well. Okay. Speaking of Morgoth, it says, he had dissipated his native powers in the control of his agents and servants so that he became in the end, in himself and without their support, a weakened thing, consumed by hate and unable to restore himself from the state into which he had fallen. So it was also with even some of his greatest servants, as ah. in these later days we see, and clearly oh, yeah. that means Sauron. No doubt. They became wedded to the forms of their evil deeds, and if these bodies were taken from them or destroyed, they were nullified until they had rebuilt a semblance of their former habitations, with which they could continue the evil courses in which they had become fixed. Mm. Wow, that, that says a lot right there. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'd add to that is that Isildur actually was not the one who destroyed Sauron. Uh, and it wasn't easy. I know that that was kind of the basis for that question. But Isildur just cut the ring from Sauron's hand after he had fallen. But it was Isildur's father, Elendil, and Gilgalad. Now, to remind you, Gilgalad wasn't just the high king of, of the Noldor at the time. I need you to remember who he was. He's the son of Fingon. Now, Fingon's the guy it took two Balrogs to take down at the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. <laughs> That's All right. right. He's also the grandson of Fingolfin, you know, the guy who fought Morgoth in single combat. Yeah, him. Gave him okay. a limp. Yeah. Yeah, gave him a permanent limp. And so Gilgalad here is is pretty big lineage. Uh, we're yeah. talking, you know, mighty, mighty power here, along with Elendil. Uh, the two of them are the ones who wrestled with Sauron and brought him down. Yeah, and knowing who those two guys were and knowing that both of them perished fighting Sauron, yeah, yeah. that does tell us it, it couldn't have been easy. No, so, not easy at all. Yeah. Not easy at all. Probably, though, a little easier than recording this episode of the Prancing Pony podcast, <laughs> which is now finally mercifully coming to an end. Uh, please be sure to join us again next week when we finally get on the road again in the first part of Three is Company. Thanks again for listening, and thank you for making our common room on Facebook such a fun place to spend time. We want all of you to be a part of this conversation, and it does not stop when the episode ends. See the comments, the questions, the corrections, and more <laughs> on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast, on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod, and on Instagram at Prancing Pony Pod. 
And as always, a very special thank you to our patrons at the Kierdance Contribution Tier. Folks, we really want to thank DeMay in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamsin in Minnesota, Emily in Texas, and Chad also in Texas. Thanks to each of you. Make sure you don't miss any episodes of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your thoughts, comments, and most of all, what you'd want Gandalf to turn you into to Parliament <laughs> at the prancingponypodcast.com. And we'll try to get him in. Ah, you know, and that's the thing. We're not getting enough of those emails, by the way. No, no we're uh, not. Send those to Parliament at the prancingponypodcast.com and we'll try to get him into our next show. Well, however long we've had, and it's got to be pushing two hours now, it's still far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends. 